Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The National Football League heads into week three. College football heads into mostly conference play. We've got some home run races in Major League Baseball for the first time in years. And excitement galore in the sports world. Nothing circles the wagons, though, as we say weekly, quite like the National Football League. And after just two weeks, that remains the trend. As some exciting games happened in week two, some very disappointing games, some heartbreaking games for some, which we'll get to shortly from the Baltimore Ravens fan of the show. And an exciting game if you're a football fan, just because it looked like Tua Tungavailoa might have something now with a new coach, weapons, six touchdown passes, flinging the ball up and down the field. We got people that can run, Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle. What a team we've got in Miami coming into Baltimore and continuing to make that defense, unfortunately, look shellacked. It's not great to be a Baltimore defender. Lamar Jackson played Hall of Fame football, MVP football, and unfortunately, somebody had to come up at the short end of the stick, and unfortunately for Al, it was his Baltimore Ravens. Not great, Al. Not a great way to end week. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, great to speak to you again, Johnny. Always great to be with our fans and friends. It was, uh, for the Ravens, in a, a, a wild, you know, absolutely wild NFL weekend uh, where you had three games that unfathomable that the losing teams lost them. The collapse of the Ravens. <clears throat> this is a game which the Ravens jumped out early, but – Again, the, the warts showing with the problems with their offensive line. They could not run the ball. Had a second and goal from the one-yard line early. Couldn't score from there. Fumbled on the fourth-down quarterback sneak. But still eventually wound up behind Lamar Jackson and uh, their young wide receiving crew and Mark Andrews taking a 28-7 to and eventually 35-14 lead into the fourth quarter before the absolute collapse in which they were outscored 28-3. A defense that just decided to play a quarterback who can't throw the ball very far uh, like they were ahead by a touchdown. Instead of, as a a writer pointed out, instead of playing deep zone against a quarterback who can't throw the ball over your head, uh, they decided to get up tight play press coverage, and they got the ball thrown over their head as far as Tua could throw it to the two wide receivers that can absolutely fly and confusions and breakdowns in the coverage. Uh, The touchdown that tied it 
Hill just ran right by two Raven defenders. I he ran by Marcus Peters on another one. Why the Ravens were in those coverages is beyond me with their new defensive coordinator. No, not much of a pass rush. But when you've got that kind of a lead, what are you doing playing up instead of playing in a deep zone where you keep everything in front of you, make two or throw the ball quicker, make them throw it in front of you, tackle guys, and make them go down the field in smaller pieces. Instead, big play after big play after big play. You know, Waddle and Hill combined for over 330 yards receiving for the touchdowns. It was abysmal. Abysmal. I was going to 28 to 3 in the fourth quarter. The, the, the rookie tight end, you know, had a big drop on third down. Uh, they had a failed conversion on third down which led to the 50-yard field goal from Justin Tucker, who, of course, never misses, which did raise for me a very interesting question. And I'm curious what you think. And nobody really brought it up, and I'm not criticizing John Harbaugh for it. Every other aspect of the game I will criticize in terms of the coaching staff, both he and the defensive coordinator, the new defensive coordinator uh, from Michigan, the Flyboy, who did a miserable job. And the defense and mindset was miserable. Uh, I will criticize John Harbaugh for a, another fourth down failure, uh, which flipped the game when they got stopped on fourth and one. Not that you wouldn't go for it. They always do, but it turned into an instant Miami touchdown. But after Justin Tucker made the field goal at about two minutes and 12 seconds or thereabouts, there was a five-yard offsides penalty. And it would have been, instead of a fourth and nine, a fourth and four from about the 30-yard line of, of course, Miami. Considering the fact that there's over two minutes left, do you think about going for that, knowing that with over two minutes left, three may just not be enough for a defense that's been on the field the entire fourth quarter on a warm day and hasn't been able to stop them at all? And if you don't get the first down, well, you know, if they score just like they were going to score before, all right, you know, it's a touchdown and you still need a touchdown to tie them versus a touchdown to beat them. And if they kick a field goal, uh, that means they probably haven't taken the ball down the field and eaten up that much time. And you've got all your timeouts. So the question becomes on fourth and four. And by the way, if you make it, you can eat time. Who knows? even though your running game has struggled, possibly end the game with another couple first downs. It certainly make Miami use timeouts. Would you go for the fourth and four at your own, at, you know, at, at, excuse me, Miami's 30 yard line and take the three points off the board? Thinking it over in my mind again, and I know it's 2020 hindsight, but down, distance, time, place, I would strongly consider what transpired in the game and an exhausted defense that has not been able to stop a strong wind. I just might do it. And your offense has played very well. I just might do it. Plus you have the coach who, if you had to put everybody in a hat and pick them out, is one of the ones you would think would do something like that, right? Wouldn't be a shock to see him do that. Make a play like that. 
with a quarterback like Lamar Jackson. But, you know, as you said, second guessing if it was, of course, 2020. But John Harbaugh's taken risks before for different things like that. Why not? Nobody so brought season, it up. Why not? I'm just curious what you think. Uh, because when I saw the offsides penalty, I was like, you know, it, it's you're down at the 30-yard line. They're going to get the ball at the 30-yard line anyway. You know, off a kickoff, because in the end zone, you, you get to 25 with over two minutes to go. So it's a five-yard difference if you don't make it. Up three with over two minutes to go, that's not much of a deal. You, you had a 28-point lead, and you couldn't hold that. Or, excuse me, 21-point lead, and you couldn't hold that. So it makes you think you can hold a three-point lead. I think it would have gone for it. But alas, wasted game, in a sense, for Lamar. Total, total, total and complete waste. Lamar was terrific. Uh, throwing it, running it. First quarterback in NFL history to have a touchdown pass of 75 yards or more and a rushing touchdown, in this case 79 yards, of 75 yards or more. Wide receivers were good. Andrews was good. Running backs were pathetic. That's one of the Ravens' biggest problems is they don't have any running backs until uh, Dobbins gets back. He's supposedly back this weekend, but Kenyon Drake has been hideous. Mike Davis has been worse. Justice Hill is the best of a bad lot. It's worse than last year right now, when at least you know they had a couple guys uh, you know, who were not on the in the prime of their career, but you know, were productive. You know, Murray had a pretty productive year for them last year. Uh, but Drake looks mediocre. Davis looks shot. And they could not gain a yard. They could not gain a yard on third and goal or fourth and goal. They always struggle in the quarterback sneak mode. And they simply could not run the football. They could not run the game out the way they used to, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Offensive line has struggled. Ronnie Stanley still out. and. Uh, so the offensive line has been a huge disappointment. The running backs are a huge disappointment. But there are enough weapons there that I'm going for the fourth and four. Plain and simple. And I got confidence in Lamar. Uh, uh, I'm taking a straight drop back and, and fire it. And if there's nobody open, find a way. Make a play. Put it in his hands, and that's what I'm going to do. But uh, they didn't do that. It wound up costing them. As, of course, the Dolphins went right down the field, scored with about 10 seconds to go. Six touchdowns of the pass for David Tua. And, yes, he's, look, he had a great game. He had a great game. His wide receivers are tremendous. They can fly. I love Jalen Waddell. I told you, I told everybody that would listen, that of that group at Alabama, the Heisman Trophy winner, Jerry Judy, and Jalen Waddell, I told you that Jalen Waddell was going to be the best pro, and I think I'm going to be right. Is this something that you think can get fixed defensively for the Ravens, or is this more it was just one of those games where somebody has a career day and you go back to the drawing board next week and assume that's not going to happen, and even if the defense is poor, not great, it'll still be enough to win a game with Lamar Jackson at quarterback? Well, it's not just Lamar Jackson at quarterback. that They do have other weapons which are improving. And 
the defense has got to get better under the new offensive coordinator. The talent is there, but the schemes have got to change. The communications have got to change. You know, again, I am the old report. This shit didn't happen when I watched games as a kid. There are more schematics, more schemes, more scientific approaches and defensive designs that are in languages I don't understand. With all of that, how do guys just run by you? What happened to the day of, you see that guy? All right, he doesn't get by you. We're playing a two-deep zone. Nobody gets behind you. Simple as that. You know, no doubles defense. All right? Prevent defense. You want to play it that early? It's fine by me because you've got a quarterback who's not a strong-arm quarterback. He shouldn't be able to beat you deep. He's a soft thrower. So you make him throw underneath. Make him take what you give him versus giving him touchdowns and letting him take them. And you have confusion between um, Humphrey and the rookie Hamilton. Uh, You know, he struggled early, you know, the first round draft pick, the hot shot from Notre Dame, missed assignments, and no pass rush. Now they just signed Jason Pierre-Paul, the ex-Giant, the ex-Buck. Hopefully he will help pass rush. The schemes will get better. Uh, the communication will get better because the talent is there. And let's also remember a big reason for this was you were facing the fastest pair of wide receivers in the National Football League with probably no one else even close to the speed that these two guys provide on the outside in Hill, who is arguably the fastest guy in the league, and Waddle, who can't be far behind. And that was huge problems. I uh, sound like Miami ran the ball uh, you know, effectively or for any you know, huge chunks of yardage. Uh, they just continued to go. And first half, they didn't. First half, they did a good job. Two interceptions. You know, the Ravens also won the two turnover battle. Uh, you know, two, two to nothing. Uh, but still, they found a way to literally give the game away by mix-ups in the secondary and you know the failed pass rate. Yes, I think it's fixable. And as I said, they won't. You know, even now that Hill is uh, no longer on Kansas City, you're not going to face another team that's at that kind of speed on the outside with both guys. So yes, I think it was a. Uh, I'm not going to say you know a, a one-trick pony. They may struggle in other games, but I don't think you can see them struggle nearly uh, to this effect. However, uh, they do play the Bills in a couple of weeks. So that will be a very curious matchup. Uh, I think they will rebound against the Patriots this week. But after watching what the Bills are doing, the teams, it's early. You know, and the argument for Nick Wright, as I text him, could be Bills are peaking too early. But right now, the Bills look like the best team in the National Football League with nobody else close. But I think the Ravens will be okay. We had an exciting Thursday night game, at least on paper and toward the end on a small attempt at a comeback. Of course, these Thursday night games under city, these poor teams can't seem to get ready on time to really give us an offensive showing that would be exciting enough. They're a slog type of affairs. 
Chargers go to play the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes takes a while to get going. Justin Herbert takes a little while to get going, but at least he keeps up his end of the bargain for a good stat line, 334 and three touchdowns. Chargers end up coming short, a valiant effort at the end with Herbert just favoring his ribs and somehow throwing these like seeing eye passes for touchdowns. In, but they found a way to lose. As they, they always do. The Chargers find always a find a way to charge Interceptions that got called back. Interceptions that got uh, reversed. 100-yard interception return. You know, ball thrown to a guy who wants out of the game because he's tired. And, you know, an ill-advised throw by Herbert, Herbert in every possible fashion. You know, you see the guy's tired. Don't throw it to him. And what are you doing throwing the ball in that traffic on the goal line? On first down, no less got to be better. Doesn't matter who's wearing the Charger uniform. There's always the huge mistake. It never fails. Find ways to lose. And you can't coach cowardly on these fourth and ones. Oh, should we, shouldn't we? Let's check the analytics. Let's make sure this is the right call based on field position and everything that we have to... You have to have balls when you're playing Patrick Mahomes. Do you need an index card for every decision? They must. Do you have to have a printout for every decision? Do Wouldn't you, have to you just love to hear in the headset decision? for those moments? Like, who is making the, hold on a minute, and you hear the pages, you know, rifling through the mouse clicking to get to the scenario that they're in? Play clocks one winding down. Okay. Hurry up. Got to find it quick. Should we go for it? Brandon Staley coached like a coward. First of all, Brandon Staley, he's incredibly inconsistent. Last year, he he couldn't stop going for it. Now he can't go for it. I mean, what are you doing? What are you doing? What what, what is the mindset here? Don't give the ball back to Mahomes. Don't give it back to him. And a loss. You hate to see it as somebody that roots for a team in the AFC West. I hope there's losses there always. The Cleveland Browns, which are currently playing tonight in Thursday night football and will probably hold on, but who knows because what a joke of a franchise they are. I'm sure your heart is just still aching to see what Joe Flacco did to the Cleveland Browns. One of those... They have a 99.4 or whatever percent chance of losing by StatCast. You blink and they scored two touchdowns. They win the game by a point, and you're asking yourself, why are the Cleveland Browns a franchise right now? Joe can still hum it, man. Joe can still throw it. Joe can still throw, baby. Four touchdowns. 307 yards. Forgot about Zach Wilson. This is your guy. We're going to the postseason. One and one. Let's cook. One and oh, the division. Well, you you know the way the NFL is. Uh, the, the 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 Browns you know, lose one, they absolutely should have won, and the prior week they win one on a was it sixty two yard field goal by the rookie kicker. Yeah. Uh, you know from LSU, but you know the question becomes, and, and I pose this to our you know fearless leader, the one and only Chris Mandug Russo, of the three unfathomable losses. We touched on the first one, my Ravens, blowing uh, a three-touchdown lead in the fourth quarter. 
and getting up to a 28 to three, six touchdown passes. We just discussed the unthinkable loss by the Browns where, and it's, you know, I, I still say it's hard for a guy in the heat of the battle, you know, don't waltz in for a touchdown when you're going to give your team a 14 point lead with less than two minutes to go. But yes, if Nick Chubb just fell down or went out of bounds like he did last year, that would have been it. But then the perfect storm goes into the end zone. The kicker misses the extra point. The Jets score in four seconds. You know, when nobody decides to cover the wide receiver and it's like they got extra guys on the field or, or the Browns were playing with eight defenders. And they recover the onside kick and score again. And then you have the Raiders and the Cardinals in which the Raiders had, what, 31 different opportunities to close that game out? It felt like it, yeah. I think Kyler Murray is still running, trying to keep one of the plays alive, keep the game going. I, I mean, he's being sacked, keeps the play alive, gets it into the end zone, holding penalty. Uh, so fourth down gets repeated. Automatic first down, excuse me, four new downs. <laughs> the first three, they do nothing. You know, don't you know that you got to put a spy on him? Don't you know that he's the guy, the most important guy? And boom, on fourth down, he waltzes into the end zone and then makes an incredible throw. And old folks himself, A.J. Green, who couldn't catch a ball, if you handed it to him, makes an incredible catch in the back of the end zone amongst 17 different defenders, a new sea of hands play. They tie it. Then in overtime, the normally reliable Hunter Renfro fumbles twice. First time he fumbles, it gets recovered. And then he gets hammered after a short catch and run, fumbles, the ball bounces around, and lo and behold, Cardinal defensive back picks it up, waltzes in. I asked Herr Russo, of the three losses, which was the rank them in terms of which one was the worst, which one was mid-worst, and which one was the very worst. He ranked them the same way I did in terms of not just the, the gravity of the loss vis-a-vis the win probability, but also who you lost to. They were all at home, shockingly. All three home teams lost. But also the opponent you lost to, the way you lost, and you know the, the uh, loss vis-a-vis you know, interdivision schedule, et cetera, et cetera. And he ranked them the same way I ranked them. How would you rank them? On paper, if you had told me the Cardinals beat the Raiders, that wouldn't have surprised me. Now, obviously, how it happened is incredibly surprising. But if you said, oh, the Cardinals rebounded and the Raiders are their typical selves, I would have said, okay. How it happened is just preposterous, and you can't have that happen in a football game. There's, You just can't. Same thing kind of goes for the Dolphins and the Ravens, where if you say, okay, the Dolphins are for real this year, no score, and you thought, oh, it must have been a shootout, as it was. 
just the probability of it all for the Jets to come back to beat the Browns with the Browns having some semblance of, well, maybe they'll be able to get by. The defense can maybe survive. Jacoby Brissett's whatever you want to call it. And the Jets are just, they're going to be those teams that you fade every week. How they lost puts them at number one. But uh, that is, I guess, another game where if you said the Jets beat the Browns, you'd say, well, the Browns must just stink this year. What's going to be the most heartbreaking is probably going to be the Cardinals-Raiders game. Raiders go down 0-2 in the uh, 0-2 now. 0-1 now in the division, even though obviously that wasn't a divisional game. And you had 50 different chances to win that game. I'm listening on the radio to the Cardinals feed that they're playing on point after they're playing on NFL radio. And the broadcast crew is just aghast that there's continued times that they have to do more plays. Because as you mentioned, they're dropping passes left and right. Then the hero emerges finally, catches the most important one. And Kyler Murray runs for about 84 yards to get however many that was left for the two-point conversion after offside penalties and holdings and moving around with it. What's happening? And, you know, I'm listening to it, so you have to kind of paint your own picture. What's going on with this game? You can't lose that football game. You know, you could say, obviously, the Browns are going to lose that football game. You could say, obviously, the Chargers are going to lose a football game like that. You could say... Tua Tungavailoa throws for six touchdown passes as two of the fastest guys that are his wide receivers. Okay. You can't lose that football game if you're the Raiders. You just can't in your own building. Brutal. I rank probably the, the Browns lost the worst because, you know, they had the two touchdown lead. Didn't need the two touchdown lead. Could have salted the game away without the touchdown lead, but then still had the two touchdown lead and still found a way to lose. And it was the Jets. And it was a conference loss. The team that was closest to winning, actually winning, was the Raiders. Based on what you just said. The infinite number of times the Cardinals had to be eliminated from that game. And like nine lives, just kept fourth down after fourth down after first set of downs, you know, like 20 plays inside the 10 on the last drive. And they finally score. And of course, need the two point conversion and incredible throw and catch to get it. And then look like they're going to lose in overtime and then win it on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, so that one I, I put you know, second and then last, obviously. Uh, the Ravens, even though they had the biggest lead, even though they were dominating, and even though they got outscored 28-3, to you know, they lost to what looks like a good team with big-time skilled players. And, you know, I, I could see the Ravens losing the Dolphins. Yes, I consider it an upset, but it's the way it happened that is so upsetting. And the fact that they blew the big lead. But they have become known for losing close game after close game after close game after close game, especially last year when Lamar was gone. But you saw how many of their games were around and the games were decided by, you know, like a field goal or less, or, you know, one score or less, almost all of them. 
I mean, there's 17 games, probably 12 or 13 of them were decided by, you know, one score or less, if not more. And, you know, I never thought that game was salted away. Regardless. I mean, when it was quickly 28 to 14, but then boom, 35, 14, I was like, okay. After the mile long run, I was like, all right, hopefully that doesn't. But then, you know, 35, 21, 35, 28, 35, just in droves. You know, the barrage just, it didn't end. Every time you looked up, possession after possession, and then quickly, too, as the thing couldn't even catch your breath. So uh, that was, again, improbable. But to me, the other two were, not to say far worse, but the other two were were clearly worse. Uh, But three, I, I don't remember a day when there were three losses of that fashion on the same Sunday. When it comes to losses, too, that were surprising, the Colts getting shut out by Jacksonville. 24-zip. Not to say that Jacksonville's going to be that same awful team, but it was a domination. Dominated. 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 Matt Ryan it, it, just looks like he's he's the old man out there at his son's high school practice trying to still sling it around. It it looked like the Colts in the last week of the season last year. Yeah. In Jacksonville. With their former quarterback for one year, in which they got totally dominated. They got this game was never in the hat. They got physically dominated. Ryan looked shot, completely shot. The high-priced Colt offensive line couldn't protect him. It was embarrassing, absolutely embarrassing. They They were not competitive. And folks can say what they will about the Super Bowl hangover and discuss if that's really a thing. The Bengals have just looked incredibly disappointing so far this season. It's obviously still early, but one of the main storylines coming into this year was we've revamped our offensive line. We want to protect our quarterback. We've got to make sure he doesn't get hit a lot because he's our guy. And Joe Burrow can't stay upright for the first two games of this season, this offensive line looks like a joke. Sacked six times against the Cowboys. You only give up 20 points on defense because Cooper Rush is still a quarterback in the National Football League and has to be for the Dallas Cowboys. And you can score three touchdowns. They've just been incredibly ugly in the first two games. And you're playing shit quarterbacks. You lose 23 20 and 2017. Joe Burrow can't score 24 points. What the hell are you doing over there? I mean, it's early. We get it. But then you start hearing these stats that just happen, whether we're paying attention to them or not. Teams that start 0 2 are X, teams that start 0 3 are X. It doesn't get great when you start getting on these lists for how poorly you start a season. Now you're going at 
to play at MetLife against the Jets. If you don't beat them, just throw the fucking towel in. These are you should be two and zero. You're playing garbage quarterbacks that shouldn't be in the National Football League, and you've put up two goose eggs. Now let's see if Joe Flacco is another one that's going to cook your ass. It's been very a disappointing. Hard, a little hard on Mitchell Trubisky, aren't we? <laughs> Did you see him playing Thursday night football, Al? I know you still don't have the Amazon Prime, but my lord, I can't believe they're trotting this dude out there in a professional football game. How can we not find 32 people in this planet that can throw a spiral? Well, I think uh, come Sunday after this, Coach Tomlin may show you another guy. They'll be clamoring. for. They're already clamoring for Kenny in Pittsburgh. It can't be worse. So the clamors will turn into screams from the mountaintops. They'll be lining up at the confluence. Not on the bridge because the bridge is closed, but there'll be those ready to head for the bridge and take a leap into the confluence <laughs> with the way things are going with Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback. They wanted Ken Pickett, the fans from the beginning, because he's the hometown hero. Trubisky had a very good preseason. To his credit, he did. He looked good. And, of course, the veteran wins the job. And it's been, uh, how shall we say, less than spectacular? Less than spectacular is a great way to put it. I haven't seen the the view of the second half, but they – I did notice they put up the chart for his first half of passes. You know, where they have the little X and the O wherever the passes are going and they put up the yardage and such. And it was all just passes to the right side of the football field as in the wide receiver was just running a straight go and he would either throw it to him far or throw it to him short. We saw one of the greatest catches you'll see this year and in general, George Pickens, told Odell Beckham Jr., hold my beer, man. One of the most phenomenal catches you'll ever see. Now, granted, not a touchdown. And granted, Mitchell Trubisky. It's not like he meant to place it there. He had to catch it there on purpose. (laughs) It was by accident, the play. It's not putting it in the right spot and having your wide receiver make a play. Nay, nay. But nothing in the middle of the field for two quarters. Another another another. Pittsburgh wide receiver, courtesy of the vault. George Pickens from Georgia. Got a chance to be a really good player. Yeah. If they got a, if they get a quarterback who can throw him the ball, which eventually will probably be Kenny Pickett. I don't know when they're going to ring that bell. As you mentioned, it could easily be as early as next week, especially at, at this point in the season. What do you got to lose? Because you lose this game to the Browns. Then you get to host the Jets. What a great time to see what you could do as a quarterback. Now, then you go to Buffalo. Then you play Tom Brady. Then you go to Miami to play Tua. Uh, Then you go to the Philadelphia Eagles, who don't look too shabby either. They're not great for the whole schedule. What do you got to lose? Throw them out there and see what happens. It's been a disaster. And this game in general on Thursday night, watching Jacoby Brissett and Mitchell Trubisky just do nothing up and down the field. Another great Thursday night product for the Amazon folks. Although, what do they care? Last week, they had the most subscribers ever, Al. Ever! 
Not Prime Day, Christmas, any releases ever because the NFL. Look at the Thursday night schedule. I don't want the to. matchups, caliber of the teams. Don't have me. I, and, and I know things change in the National Football League, and they always do. That's why nobody circles the wagons like the NFL. You can go from worst to first any given Sunday. But you look at the caliber of the games, they're all eminently missable. There's nothing there that you're looking to dial up prime it. Uh, unless you live in the city and are a diehard that you need to see and spend money uh, on prime to watch these games. The schedule is off. Awful. Now, next week you would have thought that would be exciting dolphins at Bengals, but we just got done telling you how awful Cincinnati's been so far. Then you got to be subjected to the Colts. We just told you how awful they've been against the Broncos who have a horrendous offense themselves. My Denver Broncos, sweet Christ. Somebody draw up a different play. Hit the ask Madden button on the controller, please. Can we figure out how to score on the goal line? Anybody, somebody from the stands. Let Russ cook, please. You'll burn the whole fucking kitchen down, and we'll have to get a new home. Redskins, Bears, Saints, Cardinals. There you go. Week eight, maybe you could purchase this one out. Baltimore Ravens at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not awful. Eagles, Texans. Nope. Falcons, Panthers. Nope. Titans, Packers. Falcons, Falcons, Panthers. Falcons. Panthers in week 10. Run, God run, only knows run, what their records run, will be. By then. Give me, give me, I don't know if there are any buys before then, but let's say there aren't. Let's say they both played nine games. Give me the under over on total wins for the two teams. <laughs> we'll be pushing what their loss total is now. It'll probably be two and a half. Let's see if we can get over that. Both teams hitting two and a half. I mean, as Andy Garcia said in the remake of Ocean's Eleven, run and hide. God. Run and hide. Then when the games are actually starting to matter in December, you end up with, okay, Raiders-Rams kicks off the month. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Before that, it's Bills-Patriots. But then week 15, 49ers at Seahawks. Then 16, Jaguars at Jets, and week 17, Cowboys <laughs> at Titans. I mean, nobody's going to be playing for anything at this point. What are we doing? Do the Seahawks have to be on again uh, anywhere? Seattle game should be blacked out. They shouldn't be on anywhere. They should have just, after they beat the Broncos and what, is their Super Bowl for this season. Understandably shut so. It, just shut it down right after that. Shut it down. Shut it down. Pete, get some sun. Take the year off. Yeah. 71 years old. They're unwatchable. It's brutal. They're unwatchable. And another team that's getting that way, playoff team, MVP, 0-2, with their quarterback, unless they're handing the ball to the big guy, Tennessee is becoming unwatchable. Ugh. He's awful. It was over he, at halftime. He is awful. And I gave him credit for turning his career around. And he deserved it. But 
in the biggest spots for a postseason team, he has been brutal. And to start this season, he has been brutal. He looked awful the other night. He looked awful down the stretch last year. He was terrible when they lost to Cincinnati in a game that he literally gave away. And they gave away. But they sacked Burrow eight times, seven times, nine times. I can't remember. He got sacked seven, eight times every playoff game. And, you know, they rebuilt the offensive line supposedly and drafted and signed, and it's still a sieve. But they gave that Bengal game away in the postseason. And they looked completely overmatched against the Bills. Now, everybody may look overmatched against the Bills. I'm not climbing on the Bills bandwagon. I did pick them to go to the Super Bowl. They look leaps and bounds better than everybody else after two weeks. But that can change quickly in the NFL. We know it. We've seen it. The switch can flip very quickly, whether it's injuries, whether it's simply a cold streak, a team that, you know, gets full of itself and, you know, peaks, literally peaks too early. Uh, But they look loaded for bear. My concern is always that they're not going to be able to run the ball enough in big spots other than with the quarterback. But I wonder how many games are they going to be in a position where they have to run the ball in a big spot because they are hitting on all eight cylinders. Uh, They have come out early like a team on a mission. It's a long season, as we know. It's longer every year. It's a war of attrition. But so far, the Buffalo Bills look like they are after a very, very, very short portion of the NFL season behind us after two measly games, you would have to put the bills at the top of Nick Wright's, not that he would ever put them there, but the top of uh, Nick Wright's pyramid as we go into Sunday, number three. Just to put a bow on the uh, Cleveland and Steelers game for those that might have missed it with 15 seconds left. The Browns punted it back to the Steelers and punted it back to the four with a six-point lead. Mitchell Trubisky passed it left to Deontay Johnson. He then lateraled it to Claypool, who then lateraled it to Harris. They were lateraling it in the wrong direction. And you'll guess what happened next. As Scott Van Pelt would like to say, pitchy, pitchy, woo-woo, went awry. Recovered by the Browns, touchdown. The baddest of beats. (laughs) From a six-point loss to a 12-point loss. Now, the spread, I think, was three or four, so that shouldn't have impacted too many people, but with live betting now and and what everything about, you what about, put into it. What about the to- what about the totals The over, I believe, hit when Boswell hit a field goal when they were trying to do the are we gonna score here touchdown or are we gonna just take the field goal because of time and then we have to play clock or try to get an extra point. So when they settled for the field goal on fourth and one from the seventeen with a minute and forty eight to go, that hit the over. But 
alternate betting and everything. Everything is impacting someone now. Someone, somewhere, like right, teasers. The days, the days there's, are, there's the days are gone where the betting is over. Right. It's not just it's never, one spread. It's, it's never over. You never. called your bookie, you put it in, that was the line, it's over with. You just lived and died by it. Now you could bet on absolutely everything at any time. So a lot of people were hurt by that. Some people won, will a defensive touchdown be scored? There it was, right at the end of the game. There's a lot of happy people and a lot of sad people, but we all are sad for having to be subjected to Steelers at Browns with two quarterbacks that are backups having to start. In college football, there was really no huge upsets as far as the top 25 were concerned. The teams that did lose like 11th ranked Michigan state and 12th ranked BYU. Did they really deserve to have those rankings? That's not a huge deal that they were there. The top 10 was pretty much unscathed and the three and O teams moved into 11 and 12 respectively. And now we're getting into though conference games for most, for the most part for a lot of conferences Clemson plays at Wake Forest. That's an exciting game if you're an ACC fan this week. There's some big, big 12 matchups. Baylor's at Iowa State. That's kind of become a little rivalry with Dave Aranda and Matt Campbell being similar people. Florida's at Tennessee. People are going to go wild for that. Unfortunately, college game day won't be traveling to where they should, which is to Kansas to watch undefeated Duke play the undefeated Jayhawks at the booth sold out. Not a basketball game, folks. It's not Allen Fieldhouse. This is football. They play that game. They should, that game would be sold if they played it in Allen Fieldhouse. <laughs> they should play it at Allen Fieldhouse. Give the offenses a chance to do a little bit more than they might. No pads. You know how much football players love playing basketball. You go play a pickup game and one of the football guys comes, they play like it's a football game. You're going to the floor and they don't see anything wrong with it. What's the problem? You just barreled me into the court. Yeah, well, that's what we do. What's what's the matter? You don't do that here? You, you get five, five fouls before you can blink. They're on the bench already. There's physical no change game. in their play. Physical game. Very physical, physical game. game. Don't come at me in the paint. So there will be some excitement on the college football front. There's some excitement for us as baseball fans for the sport in general. If you have your likes on one side of the coin, how much you care about home run races after the 90s and 2000s, put the asterisks by home run races. But we have some personal weight in the game. Aaron Judge, New York Yankees, 60 home runs, trying to tie and break Roger Maris's hollow number of 61. And then the chase would be on to see if he could crack. Probably the closest would be Sammy Sosa's over in the National League of 66. Mark McGuire's at 70 and Bonds is at 73. There's no way he's going to touch those numbers because teams now are playing as cowards and won't throw him a decent pitch, it seems, for the majority of the times he comes up to bat. For the Roger Maris family, it's been like Christmas morning this week, Al. They're in the box at all the Yankee games at home, waiting for this record to be broken, to celebrate, etc. But nothing's happened for the past several days, so they're just 
eating and drinking on Hal Steinbrenner's dime. Probably staying in a nice hotel. This is a dream. They don't want Aaron Judge to break the record for two reasons. One, their dad owns it. Two, we're living the dream in these boxes. Keep inviting us to the games. Absolutely, we'd love to come back. We'd love, love to be this, in the this stands. Is, this is the second time they've gone through this because they went through this with, uh, you know, with the McGuire run. That's right. When he broke their father's record originally. Um, look, there, there's no doubt he's going to do it. Uh, he's, he only needs two. He's you know, all summer long. The talk has been is about Paul Goldschmidt of my Cardinals being the first triple con winner since Mickey in 2012. And the first in the national league since 1937. Think about that. There's not been a national league triple crown winner since 1937, 85 years. And that will not happen again because he trails in all three. Uh, but very quietly, Aaron Judge, who was blowing away Major League Baseball in home runs and RBIs, is now the American League batting leader. So he is in great shape to win the Triple Crown. The first one since 2012 in the American League. First one for the Yankees since Mickey Mantle in 1956. Leads the Major Leagues in home runs by far. Leads the Major Leagues in RBIs by far. And is now has a slight lead over Xander Bogart to the Red Sox, who they are playing. Uh, for the batting average title, uh, the batting championship. They were both at 317 and change going into tonight. And I don't think either one of them had a hit. The judge go over tonight? I believe Bogart's did. He did. Uh, three walks, a strikeout, and a long, long, long. And I think Bogart and center. I think Bogart's was over four. Yeah. So Judge should now have a legitimate versus decimal point lead. Math, but I, I believe that's correct. And that will be interesting because, you know, the, the Minnesota kid is a few points behind. He's the one who led for most of the year. And, you know, batting averages, that can flip-flop. The home run and the RBI titles are in the bank. So it's really uh, going to be interesting to see if along with getting to 62, which I have no doubt that he will do, Willie win the batting throw, and that, that is up for grabs. And Bogarts is a really good hitter, really great player. So that is going to be a difficult one, and certainly no slam dunk, no knock on judge, no slam dunk that he's going to win the batting throw. And obviously on my end of the home run race, uh, Albert Pujols went to the wall today uh, for a fly up and left and bounced one off the wall to deep left. He's uh, stuck on 698. Got very close, sit a little low where he's still hitting, and he's playing pretty much every day because the Cardinals' offense has gotten into such a funk where he's not just playing against left-handers, now he's playing against everybody because he's basically become their third-best offensive player behind the two MVP candidates, Goldschmidt and Arenado, where Oliver Marmo has no choice but to play because the Cardinal offense has gone south. The hitless wonders, the prevent offense that I've talked about so many times, did not score an earned run for, I believe, it was 45 consecutive innings. But you think about that for a second. And the earned run, the, the, the one run that wasn't earned was where you start the ghost runner, the Manfred runner, 
at second base in extra innings on Saturday night in a game that they won one nothing and scored on a ground ball the third where Andrew Kisner, the backup catcher, got hit in the back in between third base and home play. They did not score in that game except for that run. And then they got shut out Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and I believe the first four innings of today, and they had not scored in the prior five, four or five innings of the first game of the Saturday doubleheader. So I believe it was somewhere around 44, 45 consecutive innings without an earned run and to add insult to injury. It wasn't like, you know, well, uh, they have like seven unearned runs because there was a two-out error and then they had a hitting barrage. They didn't hit at all. Two hits, three hits, one hit, four hit. It was the game that they won one nothing. They struck out seventeen times. Seventeen times. Last night against Snell, who was back to his uh, Dodger performance in the World Series, he took a no hitter into the seventh. So Pujols broke that up, and his strikeouts were in double digits. Their offense has just hit a wall and been like the lineup is just like Swiss cheese. Just got way too many holes. Uh, you know, guys who had had a nice little streak. Dickerson, who had that huge streak, raised his average, you know, basically 100 points from you know, June to about three weeks ago. has gone ice cold again. The big boys are struggling in September. Uh, no home runs. I mean, they've hit a couple, but uh, they've got a power drought. And everybody else has gone silent. You know, Nolan Gorman sent down. Tyler O'Neill hurt again. So it's been, you know, really a struggle for them offensively. They managed to win every series until this Padres series, in which they pulled a rabbit out of hat today with a grand slam from rookie Nolan. Uh, excuse me. Um, not Nolan Gorman. From uh, <clears throat> Donovan, the rookie second baseman, hit a grand slam in the uh, top of the seventh to put them at 5-3. They hung on for uh, the 5-4 win. And that was the offense for the last five days. And even before that, they had been in a slump offensively for a couple weeks where it was basically pools coming through with home runs to tie games or put them ahead and a a little bit of Arenado and a little bit of Goldschmidt and nobody else. And since those guys have gone silent, the offense has just shut it completely down. Uh, so it was a big win for them today because the Brewers won again. Colton Long had three home runs. So the lead is still seven and a half. So the Cardinals, even you know, with their, I don't want to say history, but you know, with their ability to be completely shut down offensively, look like they're in pretty good shape. But the problem for Marmol is you know, he wanted to get pools in as many games as he could before they hit the road because he wanted to see him break the record at home. They only have three home games left. So I'm sure he wants to break the record at home, but you can't run the risk of having to come down to those three home games. They're not the three last games of the season. They've got three in LA, uh, much friendlier ballparks now, three in LA, two in Milwaukee, home for three against Pittsburgh, at Pittsburgh to finish the season. So do I think he's going to do it? I don't know. I hope he does because he's been pretty steady. Even though he hasn't hit me in a few days, 
He's hitting balls to the wall. He's been hitting balls hard. He's been getting base hits. It's not like he's going up there and just flailing away and is, you know, one for his last 25. So I'm, I'm rooting real hard for him to do it. I think we're really cool. It's going to be tough for him to do it and even tougher for him to do it at home. I'm not sure if people have forgotten, and it seems that way for those that are at these games. You know, it's really hard to hit a home run, Al. <laughs> Obviously, everybody that's there is waiting on every pitch when Pujols and Judge are coming to the plate. But I think sometimes we forget because we're living in the moment and just watching these at-bats. Like, come on! It's taking so long. Just do it already. Well, at 42, Jeez. you know, this is it for him. There's plenty more home runs for Judge. Will this there ever be another season like this? It, it's pretty hard to feel that there will because this is a once-in-a-lifetime season. Many have called it the best season ever. I'm not going to go that far because they base it upon the notion that, you know, well, their pitching's diff- harder than ever to hit. Guys throw harder than ever. You have to face more guys. But, you know, I look at it, obviously, from the old report point of view. When, you know, I see guys go in the dugout, when a new pitcher comes in, they take out a tablet. Yeah. And what are they watching? Well, they're watching the guy's stuff. You didn't get to do that 50 years ago. New guy's in. Let's go to the computer screen. Let's check him out. Forget about what the scouting report is. Here it is. Let's watch him. Check out his motion. Check out his release point. See where he hard grips his curves. See how he's in. What's his glove position on his fastball? is he tipping his pitches? Where does he like to go? You know, where's he heading the count? What's he usually throwing the first pitch? It's all right here in front of me. Well, and conversely, the that relief pitcher was sitting on his hotel bed the night before with a tablet out like, all right, what happens if I get in against Aaron Judge? Where does he like it? Where does it not work? Am I going to get that low strike that's not really a strike called? Who's umpiring the game? Does it give that low strike? Can I throw it there on an off-speed pitch and get the call? Because he's not going to swing at it. He takes that pitch now. It's crazy what's going into these games. You're not just getting up there and having a swing. Everybody's got a thousand different things swirling around their head, too. See, I, I, I don't. I, I know it sounds hideous, and I know it sounds old school, and it certainly got off my lawn, but I don't like any technology during in the, the dugout, during the game, yeah, not not in the dugout, not in the bullpen, not in the clubhouse. I don't think you should be able to go back and watch your at bats in the clubhouse. Forget about live stuff. I don't think you should be able to watch old stuff from earlier in the game. Anything earlier in the season, you do that when the game's over. Game over. Go watch all you want. Game on. Yeah, I don't disagree with you on this, even as the young report, the new report. I don't disagree, and I think, I think it, it also helps the game. There's that, and you're also not running the risk of the cheating that has already been rampant in your sport because of technology and what people are able to sneakily do, no matter how many that times you tell them to that, Of course, that aspect of it is obvious, and they've done everything they can to eliminate that. But I just don't like what it take, that it takes away from you playing. Right. There's a time to study. There's a time to play. You don't get to look at the practice test while you're taking the test. Right. You look at the practice test before you take the test, not during the test. You don't go to look at old exams 
while you're taking the exam. Play. When you're done playing, watch, stop, then go play again. I just don't like it. It takes so much away from the actual competition. And I, I, I want to see guys talking and having fun in the dugout. I don't want to see them looking at tablets. I, I just don't. To me, it's not it's not part of the game. And I, I really think that a great part of baseball has been lost. You know, study the guy by watching him pitch. Eyes on the guy on the mound. That's how you do it. Again, it's just the very old, crotchety, uh, get-off-my-lawn approach that I have to, not going to say it was better when I was younger. I just liked it more when you didn't get to do these things during the game. Just my, just, just my mindset, plain and simple. And I'm not going to change. Nothing's going to change that, that mindset. Nothing. Um, so we are now down the stretch. Only one real race for a flag left. Braves, Mets, NL East. And only one real race left in or out, which is the NL wild card. The AL wild cards are still, you know, to be determined in terms of the order between Tampa and Toronto and Seattle. But we pretty much know that that's your threesome. NL, we've got three teams battling for two spots. Milwaukee's still right in it. Looking like they're on a little bit of a roll. Colton Wong, three home runs tonight. They're in Cincinnati. They'll probably sweep them. Uh, then I think they play Pittsburgh and then two of the Cardinals. No, I'm sorry. They have four with Cincinnati and then two of the Cardinals. Um, so they're right in the hunt with San Diego and Philadelphia. Huge win for Philadelphia tonight over the Braves, one nothing, uh, because they picked up a game on San Diego, as Milwaukee did as well. So those three teams battling for two spots. Give me your thoughts. Mets, Braves, and the final wildcard. I'm going to pick the Braves just because the Mets have shown us for my entire lifetime that they'll probably blow whatever happiness they think they'll gain. This year's team feels different. They'll most likely win the division. But if you have to put a gun to my head, I'm obviously going to take the other team. How it goes for both wild cards, it's probably going to take a miracle for Baltimore to overtake Seattle or the Rays or, or the Blue Jays. Not happening. Not happen. The wild card in the American League is done. It would, it would be a historic comeback. Though, if I had to pick a team, I'd love to see the Orioles get in. It would be an electric environment at Camden Yards to get playoff baseball back there and actually have Orioles fans in the stands instead of Every whatever team is the visitors for the NL wild card. I'm not sure the Brewers are going to have enough steam to see it out, which is surprising because I don't know why I'm putting that much faith in the Phillies or the Padres for that matter, because for as much talent as they've decided to go by, they have underperformed despite being in a place to get to the postseason. So I guess I'm going to go chalk. 
uh, for the wild card as it stands now. Milwaukee will be left out. Baltimore obviously be left out. And I will go with the Braves to take the division from the Mets because of what the Mets have shown us for my existence mostly. And that's usually what happens to them, unfortunately. But at least they're in. Hey, Mets back in the postseason. Happy days. I'm picking, I'm picking the Mets, believe it or not, because every time the Braves seem to get there, they fall back just a little bit. They've gotten there a couple times, and then they've fallen back. Tonight, perfect example. They're playing the Phillies. They can't score against the Phillies. When the Mets are idle. Uh, yesterday, you know, they lose a tight one to the Phillies. Uh, it wasn't the Phillies. They lose it yesterday. They lost a tight one the other day. Uh, 3-2. After the Mets lost. So, and the Mets have an easy schedule. And they have, I believe, two left against each other or three. I'm not sure if it's, it might be a two-game series. Maybe I think it's a three-game series. Braves got the Phillies, the Nats, and then they play three against the Mets uh, at the end of September and in October. In Phil- in Philadelphia, or sorry, in, in in Atlanta. Yeah, in Atlanta, and then they in close, the Braves close at Miami to play the Marlins. Okay, so and the awful. Mets, and the Mets. Let's pull up the Mets. I think you were right in saying that they have an an easier close to the schedule. Aside from that Brave series toward the end of the season. Not easy, but they're playing the Athletics coming up for their next series, so maybe challenging. Then the Marlins, that Brave series, and they finish uh, to host the Nationals. Close yeah, the I, I, and, and the other aspect of it is uh, Scherzer came back the other night and was brilliant. Yeah, perfect. Eighteen up, eighteen down. If memory serves me correct. Yeah. So if they've got you know the two monsters. Uh, against that schedule with the polar bear getting hot again and Lindor being the second guy in the lineup. I know Marte is out. That really hurts them, but Escobar's gotten hot. Uh, now they did lose Nemo the other night who I can't stand anyway. Nimrod, Nemo, the Nimrod, who is the new King of phony hustle. He slides headfirst into any bag. Even if the ball is over the wall, uh, but I still think that on the strength of those two guys and the best closer in the sport, Diaz has been otherworldly. I think they're going to win it. I think they're going to win it. And that, it, that is a huge advantage, winning the division and uh, being the two seed. You avoid the Dodgers until – the NLCS. Yep. That's the key. It all costs avoid the Dodgers. And as a two seed, you will avoid the Dodgers. So um, I'm, I'm going with the Mets. And as for the final walk on the National League, I don't know why. I, I just I just got a hunch that you know the Brewers go on these streaks where you know they just hit a bunch of home runs. Today they had four hits. Four hits. But five runs. Why? Three of the four hits were Colton Long home runs. He had a ton of home runs. Willie Adamas is going nuts. Just like last year after they made the trade for him from Tampa, where was their MVP? 30-plus home runs. He might drive in 100 runs. Quality starting pitching. Their bullpen now is not nearly as good. Um, With the exception of Williams, has been terrific. 
I just got a feeling that they're going to find a way to sneak in, whether it's over the Phillies or the Padres, I don't know. But I think one of those teams, and it might just, the Phillies could spit the bit. Big win tonight, I understand. Big win tonight. But I just, there's something about the Phillies that uh, rubs me the wrong way. And I love Wheeler, and I love Nola, but they just, it's an odd mix. And the Brewers have got, they got, they're gritty and they're gutty. And they've been in the playoffs pretty much every year. Last few years under council, they got a nice run going. And I just got a feeling that they're going to find a way to sneak in. And remember, no play-ins this year. No play-in games. Thank God. Head-to-head. Head-to-head. Settle it out like baseball players and play a series. Finally. It's exciting for baseball to have really must-see at-bats. But unfortunately for baseball, too, sometimes good luck finding the games. Like tonight, if you were in Pennsylvania, the Phillies were on Fox. Well, that was what the Yankees were supposed to be on. So you had to watch the Phillies game and wait for Aaron Judge to come up so they would move from the Phillies game. But you do get the at-bats. And they would show you the at-bats. And you have to remember, the the Yankee-Red Sox game is basically meaningless. Right. And the Philly Brave game is the game. It's got a ton of juice True. for both teams. Division and wild card on the line. And it's a one nothing game. So that's really the better game to be watching. All you need at this stage is the judge at bats. And drama for Friday night, the game being on Apple TV because the Yankees don't have enough money. They had to sell 20 or something games to Amazon and Apple TV. Michael Kay trying to get into the booth so he could have the, the call for it. He was probably sweating bullets tonight. It was going to be Adam Amin and not him. I'm surprised he wasn't on social media on a live stream just doing the play-by-play so it could be recorded someplace. Another piece of history. John Sterling doesn't have to worry about that. His 60th home run call, too. Michael Kay. And, and, he, and, he wrote it down. You know, we could tell. Take and, it easy. I mean, you know, Adam Amin had some great calls on ESPN with the girls' NCAA tournament. Fabulous. But what is he talking about tonight on Fox? My center fielder, who is now your center fielder, who, as we talked about uh, before we started the show, is the best center fielder alive and is a beautiful player to watch defensively and is hitting some and running the base and healthy and doing everything that he does best that we loved as Cardinal fans. And now you'll love his Yankee fans. Harrison Bader is 28 years old. And he's talking about him tonight you know, growing up down the road, going to Horace Mann, being a Yankee fan, calling Bronxville a suburb of New York City when it's really a suburb of Westchester, but that's okay. But then he says, with the Maris family in the, in the building, how ironic Harrison Bader's favorite player growing up was Roger Maris. Now, wait a second. I understand my favorite player was Lou Brock, but you know, I I was ten in nineteen sixty seven nine in nineteen sixty seven and ten in nineteen sixty eight when Lou Brock was tearing apart the Red Sox and the Tigers and then later on set the all time record for most stolen bases in the season 
Okay, I was 14. All right. Harrison Bader is 28. That means Harrison Bader was born in 1994 or thereabouts. Roger Maris retired in 1970. How is Roger Maris Harrison Bader's all-time favorite player? I'm not saying that he's not. I'm saying how is that possible? How is that possible? Never saw him play. He wasn't even born until over 20 years after he retired. I'm confused. The only place I can find that where Harrison Bader's favorite baseball player is Roger Maris is on Wikipedia, which is any teacher would tell you is not always. And that's obviously where he read it. I'm sure that's where he read it. That's where he found it. So the sentence goes, and it's it's as you just said, he read it. Bayard grew up a fan of the New York Yankees, and his favorite player was outfielder Roger Maris. Now, as you know, Al, or maybe not, but as it goes from Wikipedia, anybody can go on here and just type what they want. I mean, Roger Maris is traded from the Yankees to the Cardinals in 1967. The only notes I can find on this for the few, and by few, a couple articles that mention it, is it's just that sentence. It's not him actually saying, my favorite player is Roger Maris. And so I, I think it would lead me to believe. I think really. he actually retired after the 68 season, after the Cardinals lost the World Series. But I'm not positive about that. And he died in, in 1985. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, he wasn't even alive for me. I'm 32. He, he died of cancer at a very young age. Yeah, terrible. It's a hard life that he, he led, if you ever want to read up about it. And I'm sure we'll hear continued stories about it as, as these days, couple of days go on, and this, this number is still getting thrown around. But, yeah, that, that is an interesting tidbit that his favorite player was Roger Maris. Why? <laughs> I, you know, he doesn't bat lefty. Maybe this, his dad. I, I don't know, I don't but know. I, I, I don't I can't get it. find a, a, a story that tells as to why that would be. Just the one sentence on Wikipedia and on an article on medium.com that just has the exact sentence as it reads on Wikipedia. Growing up, he was a fan of the New York Yankees. And his he he was, passed away. When, when, did, when did he pass away? 1985. Okay, 10 years before he was born. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least, at least DiMaggio was alive and well doing Mr. Coffee commercials and, yes. and a coach for the Oakland A's when I was a kid. Yes. You know, Will, Ted Williams was the manager, okay, you know, of the Senators. You know, Stan Musial had retired, you know, a couple of years after I was born and was alive and well. You know, we we have the internet, obviously, and in Harrison Bader's generation. But how many YouTube clips are there to do a deep dive on a random August day, Roger Maris with the Cardinals playing a doubleheader in the National League before the lights go out at Wrigley? You know, in 1970. You know, 
how many games you could obviously find when he hits 61. That's easily accessible. How many games are you watching where he's let's play two. <laughs> We're trying to get through this before the sun goes down and you're sitting through that nine inning game on the old YouTube. I don't think you're going to find a lot of those games to be like, you know what? That's my favorite player. We call erroneous here on the show. And one more thing for these people that are going to these Yankee games and God knows how much money they have to spend, especially in the like home run areas of the stadium. Will you put your fucking phone away, please? And this is coming from the new report portion you of the show. You know that's not, you know not going to happen. possible purpose is it serving for you to have your phone out to have this moment captured? Everyone is going to have the same video. It's on every outlet imaginable, so you'll find it. And are you really going to not celebrate the home run but make sure your hand is steady while you're zooming in because you got shit seats to watch Aaron Judge go around the bases? Just enjoy the moment, will you please? If you want to pull your phone out after and get him coming out of the dugout or whatever, go ahead. But just enjoy the home run. What, can't do that. What purpose is it to have it on your phone? It's like these weirdos Technology. that take videos Technology. of fireworks on the 4th Technology. of July every year. You're not Techno- watching that over again. Technology is a must. What, what are you going to do? Sit next to somebody on the train coming home? Hey, I was at the game tonight. You want to see the home run? They'll say, why? I'll just pull it up on my phone and see it professionally done by 20 camera angles. You could see it any way you want. They'll have a replay of it. Slow-mo, fast-mo, that camera that's in the dirt in front of home plate. Yeah, but you haven't seen Zoomed in on the bat. You haven't you seen have, my shaky fucking hand, you though. Haven't seen my, you haven't seen my view. And then the wait until I accidentally flip the camera around and you see me jumping around with all the fans that I'm standing next to. It's a great because, video. And because unlike you, I can say I was there. (laughs) That's the one it's, it's funny when it happens. And I, and I know we're losing people that even know what we're talking about, but it was always a cool moment at the start of games or for moments like this, when you had that, now let's look at the stands and there were the thousands of flashbulbs going off right at that moment where you're just, you've just got time to take one or two pictures, folks, not 280 when you hold the button down to make sure and you get flash the bulbs just so Flash bulbs just going off is so much cooler. It's, it's, such, it's awesome. And now it's, ama- it's an amazing sight. It's just everybody holding their phone up, looking at the screen. At least here when you had a camera, you were literally looking at the play. You had to, to take the picture. You couldn't even look at the screen. You had to look through the viewfinder to take the photograph. Just enjoy the moment, man. You know, take your phone out. You want to see him take his curtain call and do all that stuff. But for the 15 seconds, just experience life. And when he's rounding third, maybe that. whip can't, your phone out. Can't do that without my phone. God. 
can't walk around the corner without my phone. Then they had people had their flashlights on later in the game, like trying to get a rally going. By the time he comes up the other night, when they actually rallied for him to get another at bat, you don't have any phone left. Your battery died. What, what happened? Oh, I was flashing my light around. <laughs> my fault. I had taken 52 videos previously thinking he was going to hit it, and we didn't think he would come back to bat again in the eighth. Our fault. Uh, just enjoy life, folks. Okay? There'll be plenty of places you could get a replay of the, of the at-bat and the homer and the angle, and you could even look for yourself in the replays. Oh, we were sitting up there in the nosebleeds. How great. I sound like you. Well, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again. It's next not week. a bad. That's not a bad thing to sound like, folks. Until next time, for my partner, the great John Tiny One. I am around. ML Renato, AKL from White Plains. I'm losing my voice with the length of this program. Judge will be at 62 at least by the next time we speak, and hopefully the machine will make it to 700. Have a great sports weekend, everybody.